We're trying an experiment, and I'm going to preach from the stage, which immediately I like so much better because there's a nice breeze here. I'm in the shade here. I almost passed out when I was up on the top earlier today, which would have been very exciting. I mean, how cool would it be? Just think of the social media buzz if your pastor was raised from the dead after the 9 o'clock service. That would be amazing. All right. We're looking in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10 today, which is a really familiar story in which a, a lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And the lawyer responds by saying, well, I know what's taught in the law and the prophets, and I'm supposed to love the Lord our God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, to keep the commandments and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, that's right, you got it. That's what you got to do. But then the lawyer adds a detail. And sometimes when we first read this detail, we imagine that the lawyer is conniving, Maybe that he's cunning. Maybe that he's trying to trap Jesus. But I don't think that's what's going on. I think he genuinely wants to hear what Jesus has to say. Like, just imagine if you go to hear a famous speaker or a famous teacher and you ask them a question. And instead of them answering your question, they just turn it around and ask you one back. You, you feel a little gypped off, right? You're like, well, now I know what I think, but I already knew what I thought. I asked you a question because I want to hear what you have to think, right? So the lawyer says to Jesus, well, all right, teacher, then... Who is my neighbor? So who's asking Jesus this question? A what? A lawyer. Good. Thank you all for answering in your hearts. Very good. Right? And, and what does he want to know? He wants to know who his neighbor is because he knows that in order to inherit eternal life, he's got to love his neighbor. So Jesus tells him this famous parable, right? Once there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that's a perilous road. There's, there's almost a 7,000 meter change in elevation. So the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho goes down into these deep canyons. It's really shadowy. There's lots of places for people to hide. It's really treacherous, really steep. And predictably, the traveler is beset by robbers and brigands. He's beaten up. They tear off all his clothes. They take all his possessions. Then they leave him on the side of the road, bleeding, naked, and left for dead. And along comes Donald Trump. And he walks in that uniquely Donald Trump way. I think you know, like this thing where the, all the Trump people stand, almost like Michael Jackson during one of those old music videos. No, of course it's not Donald Trump. It's a priest that comes by. And the priest does nothing. Keeps going on his merry way. And after the priest comes Barack Obama. And he's sort of shuffling and grooving. No, of course it's not Barack Obama that comes. It's a Levite. Now, why do I play my little trick and say it's President Trump and President Obama? To illustrate this. We always read this parable of the Good Samaritan and we put a huge emphasis on the people that didn't help. The priest didn't help, but he should have. The Levite didn't help, but he should have. And you and I, when we remember this story, when we talk about this story, when we rehearse this story, we always seem to glorify, to emphasize all the people that should be helping, but don't. You know, the government should be helping, but they're not. The, the, the social services should be helping, but they're not. The police should be helping, but they're not. A police officer walks by, sees the man laying there. He doesn't do anything, keeps going. An Antifa protester walks by, sees the man laying there, doesn't do anything. All we ever do is emphasize all the people that aren't doing it. But that's not the point of the parable, right? The point of the parable is not about them. The point of the parable is you. I would say the point of the parable is about us. But as soon as I say that it's about us, then you start thinking it's about me. 
or you start thinking it's about them. But it's not about them. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about what it means to love your neighbor. And the more we excuse ourselves from the true power of this parable, the more we stay stuck and even begin to deteriorate. Because remember, the person asking Jesus this story already knows all the answers. Love God. Love your neighbor. Keep the law. The person who's asking Jesus this question already wants good things. How do I inherit good eternal life? The person asking Jesus the question is not a bad person. But Jesus says that even for good people, even for good people who have righteous desires and have a healthy understanding of the scriptures, there is something far more extravagant, something far more lavish, something far more demonstrative than we can ever possibly comprehend about what it means to love our neighbor. So the priest does nothing. And the Levite does nothing. And then lo and behold, a Samaritan shows up and he's the one who helps. So you have somebody good who should have helped and didn't. Somebody good who should have helped and didn't. And then somebody bad who shouldn't have helped but did. Because as you may recall, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't really like each other all that much. What I want to do today is, is look at the seven things that the Samaritan did for his enemy that demonstrate that the Samaritan man understood what it means to love your neighbor. And, and then I want us to ask ourselves what it means for you and I today to love our neighbors and to get our eyes off of all the people that aren't helping and instead, focus on what you and I can do to provide hope and healing. Because that's the thing, man. I think most of us, when we read the parable, we identify with the injured traveler. We're going, hey, does nobody see me over here? I am beaten down. I have been stripped bare. I got nothing left. I am bleeding. I am injured. And I cannot take care of myself. Who is going to help me? But, but that's not what the story's about. The story is about how you and I become activated regardless of who we are. How you and I start to help and provide hope and healing regardless of our background. Regardless of our animosity. Regardless of the fact that we're confronted and surrounded by either useless good people or painfully bad people. So seven things that the Samaritan does to help that I think you and I can learn from. Number one, he takes initiative. Remember, like the, the priest, the scripture says, just happened to walk by and did nothing. The Levite just happened to walk by and crossed over to the other street. Like their problem wasn't a failure to perceive that there was somebody in need. Their problem was that they didn't do anything about it. But the Samaritan takes the initiative. You ever see somebody in need and not do anything about it? Like, I remember one of the most sticky examples of initiative was my oldest brother, Jeff. And I comically say that I have two brothers. One is the white knight and one is the black sheep. And when I get with my two brothers, it's like having a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. But of course, that's an oversimplification, you know. But it's, it's a fun way to tease the two of them. Mr. Perfect and Mr. I don't care if you're perfect, I'll punch you in the head. I mean, those two... 
But but I remember my my oldest brother Jeff in a big snowstorm one year when we're all snowed in we can't get anywhere he says hey let's go outside and see who needs help um, now this is the black sheep brother the one that that everybody's a little nervous around the one that's got a neck like a stack of manhole covers the one who uses his face to bash through Al Qaeda in his free time you know and he goes let's go outside and see who needs help and so we ran around the neighborhood we just pushed cars out of their driveway cars down the road just because we took initiative. Now, that's a silly example, being stuck in the snow. But there are people all around us who are hurt, broken, beaten up, destitute, and they need help. And we have got to be the people of God who take initiative and show compassion. And we're not going to do it all right all the time because we don't totally know what we're doing. But better to try and fail or try and only partially succeed when our hearts are pure and our spirits are properly motivated than to do nothing. Number two, the Samaritan sacrificed his personal security. Look at what the scripture says. It says, he went to the man, he bound up his wounds, and then he poured oil and wine on him. Now, that, 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 all those details need careful attention. Like, where do you think he got the bandages to bind up the bleeding, naked, and broken man? I mean, people didn't usually carry around med kits back then. No, he, he would have cut up his own clothes. And if the guy's laying naked on the ground, you wouldn't just like tear your sleeves off your cloak to wrap up his scraped up knee and then leave all his, you know, dingleberry hanging out. No, you, you'd, you'd make sure that the dude wasn't naked anymore, which means you're, you're giving up a good portion of your own security and protection to provide dignity for somebody else. And a lot of times dignity is the thing we fail to take into consideration. We got to look after not just the hurts of the people, but the hearts of the people. Asking ourselves what will protect their reputation? What will protect their family? What will protect their identity and their sense of self? Like, how do we actually care for them? And what are we willing to invest to give it to them? And the oil and wine, those are significant details also. The wine was probably used as a, a kind of disinfectant for the wounds. Some of you have been disinfecting yourselves pretty regularly, I think, during quarantine. We're going to have a cup check next week at church. You know, I'm going to come in. We're going to smell your tumblers. Make sure you're being good. There's no judgment here. Jesus turned water into wine. No big deal if you know I'm teasing. Don't you dare come drink at church, you dirty, filthy pagans. And the oil would have been used to provide some relief to the scrapes and burns on the man's body. But bear in mind, both oil and wine are expensive. So, so the Samaritan's not just helping with what he has at hand. He's investing his own resources and compromising his own security. Number three, the Samaritan shares his possessions. He gets the man on his own animal. And number four, he uses those possessions to make sure this guy gets where he couldn't have got without help. Now think about that for a minute. There are people in your life who are never going to get ahead without your help. They're never going to get connections. They're never going to get access. They're never going to get anywhere unless you make an introduction, broker or mediate a relationship, and give them a leg up. Not because there's something in it for you, but because you are a person of mercy motivated by the love of Jesus. And you might not know all the resources that you have at your disposal. And so what you got to do is listen. Find out what the people around you need. 
and be sensitive to the work of God's Holy Spirit so that you can make connections and broker relationships and help people get out of their crummy circumstances, help people move forward. And I hear a lot of people when I say stuff like this go, well, yeah, Dave, but I don't, I don't want to enable anybody. And I think maybe that's a worthy you know, recommendation. We don't want to be enablers. Um, but think here, like uh, enabling means ignoring somebody's unacceptable behavior. You don't have to do that. If somebody misbehaves, they do something goofy, you go ahead and call them out on it. You don't have to ignore it. You know, enabling means that you don't take responsibility for your own mess. It means actually that you come to resent your own responsibilities. All right, that, that's fair. Um, enabling means that you lie to cover up mistakes or failures or inadequacy or apathy. Enabling means that you misassign blame. I, I think we're smart to be wary of enabling people. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we hide behind the rhetoric of being an enabler because we just don't know how to help or we don't want to help or we're not even sure how to get started helping. And I think we got to reverse that. Let's be people of radical love and service and then after we've accidentally enabled, oh, I don't know, any one single person, then we can start talking about how to protect ourselves from it. Because right now we got a lot of Levites who are afraid of not, or afraid of enabling. And what we need are a lot more Samaritans who are going to love and serve sacrificially in the name of Jesus. And this is a funny part of the division in our country right now. You know, Democrats think the government should take care of people. Republicans think that people should take care of themselves. Jesus said, you and I ought to take care of one another. And I got a lot of friends on the left who I love very dearly who are social activists. And they think the problem is here in this road to Jericho. Oh, it's dangerous. They ought to fix that road. There's something wrong with the public services. And then I got a lot of other friends on the right. We'll call them patriots. You know, guys with the big beards. You know, that on the 4th of July, the big flag in the background. They get an M4 in one hand and a baby holding a beer in the other, you know. And they think the real problem is that the poor traveler didn't know how to protect himself. But Jesus says the real problem is our hearts. You can have the best government in the world. You can have the best self-defense tactics in the world. And if your heart is corrupt and deceitful above all things, your life's going to suck and be miserable. Your family's going to be miserable. Your relationships are going to be broken because the problem is bigger than policy. It's bigger than social services. It's bigger than danger zones. The problem is me. The problem is you. And so we got to figure out how we change the solution so that you and I are people who radically love our neighbors. Number five, the Samaritan attended to the man's needs. We're told that he took him to an inn, and there he bathed him and nursed him. Now, I don't know a lot about uh, Samaritan medicinal practice in first century Palestine, uh, but my guess is that this guy wasn't really a nurse. Like, he wasn't the best suited guy for the job. But he was the person that was there. And you might look around you in your neighborhood, in your job, in your families, in your friends, in your networks, and you might go, man, I'm the wrong guy for this. Like, I just do not know what I'm doing. Do the best you can with all that you have, with a, as clean a heart as you can muster. And you say, but Dave, 
Like, you don't get it, man. I got nothing left. I, I know. I get it. Do the best you can. Just, you're the person that God has placed right here, right now. So do what you can. Number six. The Samaritan man planned for the future of the injured traveler. This is what he says. He goes to the innkeeper after spending the night and he gives him two days wages. And he says to the innkeeper, take care of this guy and if it costs you more than these two days wages, I'll repay you when I get back. Now, I've spent a large portion of my life trying to help other people. I have been on medical mission trips. I have fed children in feeding lines. I have educated people. I have built schools. I have built homes. I have volunteered as a tutor. I've been a sports coach. I've been an advocate. I mean, if there's a charitable activity I've done, I don't think I've ever handed somebody two days of my salary and said, let me know if this isn't enough. Which just goes to illustrate that Jesus is setting the bar really high. Really high. Because he's talking to this lawyer who knows what the good things are to do. Who wants good things. Who's eager to learn. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand it. The love of God is so radical. The love of God is so generous. That God pours out measure upon measure upon measure of hope and healing and help to those who need it. And we ought to as well. And if we give everything and it's not enough, there's more coming. This is an impossible standard for us to reach. And yet it's the standard Jesus gives. Because he wants us to know he's not kidding around. He's not kidding. We ought to be people who love, people who serve, and people who give. And last but not least, number seven, after all this, the Samaritan promises to do more. He says, look, I'm coming back. And if this guy still isn't on his feet, and he's still not healthy, and he still doesn't have everything that he needs in order to get back to where he was going and be with his people, I'll give you more. And I love that there's, there's, not, there's no end to his sense of compassion. And that's the difference. The Samaritan man does not respond out of a sense of obligation. The Samaritan man does not respond because his religion tells him to do good to others. The Samaritan does what he does because of mercy. That's what Jesus says right here. After telling this whole story, Jesus looks to the lawyer. And says, now, which of these three, the Levite who did nothing, the priest who did nothing, or the Samaritan who did these seven things, which of these three truly loved their neighbor? And the lawyer replies, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. Friends, you and I are called to be people of mercy. To love. To serve. And to give beyond what we've ever thought possible as we increasingly welcome God's Spirit to change us and make us new. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us, and then we'll keep singing. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. You love us, even though we don't deserve it. You have grace and mercy for us, even though we haven't earned it. You show us lavishly and consistently what it means to experience the love and the grace of God. So Lord, help us be people who share that love and grace with others in your name. These things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.